Welcome back to the Oedipus Hour. All right, so this intro sounds like a classic setup for your mama joke. Oedipus. Yeah, no, I heard you. I thought we were going to be talking like about ecology on this podcast thing, thing. You know how Oedipus was in love with his mother? Yeah, actually, it was that he well, was... Well, that story plays out today, and his mother is Mother Earth. While Master Cho created KNF, which we covered recently, Young Sang Cho, his son, told him to step back and watch how it was done. That's not what I was going to say. Yeah, and so Young Sang Cho took his studies in agronomy and invented Jadam, or, and I will butcher this, Jayunel Damun Saramdul. So what, this is another thing you want me to grow in a drug and drink? Chug chug. Brought to you by Lab. Lab Breeze. No? Well, then, you know what? We're the Poor Proles Almanac, but we're out of almanacs, so we're just the Poor Proles. How are we not getting better at this intro thing? Who said I wanted to? Alright, what are we talking about today, Andy? You know, do the things I say mean nothing to you? Next to nothing, but just so you know. Damn. Ja damn. Ja damn, Daniel. We're talking about ja damn. So in the last few episodes, we had talked extensively about this framework of Korean natural farming and the idea of really harvesting beneficial microbes within the soil through a really quick, I guess you could call quick process, and then applying them as necessary to wherever you're farming or gardening or whatever it might be. Now, Jadam is the same general concept, but with a little bit of a twist. So it's a better name than KNF. It's because it's like a cuss word, but for gardening, because it works so jadamn good. So jadamn good. I mean, yeah, that is factually and indisputably accurate. I nailed it. <laughs> you did, buddy. I'm, I'm real proud of you. Not only this, does it have this great name that nobody could ever criticize or say is not great, but it also deals with one of the biggest shortfalls in KNF, which is the need for brown sugar. And Jadam removes that. And unlike KNF, there are a lot more tools in the proverbial toolbox. In some ways, this can make it a bit overwhelming for a first-timer, but also it offers us an opportunity to kind of pair these things together, specific things from KNF and Jadam. So first, before we get in the subject, I do really recommend picking up the book Jadam Organic Farming. It's a bit expensive, but it's a really great resource that covers this content super thoroughly, and it's super accessible. So one of the downsides of Jadam and trying to teach it through a podcast is that it has this diverse amount of, well, content, whether it's through the tools in the toolbox or some of the more complex processes that we won't cover. And because of this, as well as the KNF, as well as the silvopasture, we're starting to roll out some content on YouTube where we'll be able to cover many of these recipes that are common to KNF and Jadam and help translate some of the other stuff into, well, a more accessible platform and to dive in a little bit deeper on some of these specific tools. And again, because there are many more tools in the toolbox in Jadam, we won't be able to go through as thoroughly to the subject matter and we'll try to speak more with broad strokes. Yeah, I'm still shocked you figured out how to upload videos to YouTube. Yeah, something about an uh, old dog learning new tricks. I don't know. Yeah, this is where the kids would say, okay, boomer. But you already knew that because you're so hip and with it when it comes to the kids. I'm hip. Yeah. So so first, one of the main premises of Jadam stands around this idea that our traditional rotational organic grazing or rotational crops isn't enough. The idea is that plants in nature don't cycle through repeated monocrops in a small space so doing that is really an oversimplification of the natural process of evolution of a site anywhere on Earth. And it lacks a lot of the permanence and complexities that are so prevalent in nature. So in nature, the brush and leaves of the trees and all the other stuff that comes down, you know, whether it's sticks or whatever it might be, those are considered traditionally like problems on our farm. Instead, in like Jadam or in nature, the idea is, that all those things, not just the leaves, but everything, are future nutrients. So, for example, when your leaves and needles fall in the autumn and then slowly decay over the winter months, they add nutrients back to the soil versus, say, continuously adding compost or taking the leaves off and making a compost or a compost tea or whatever. Instead, we, we focus on this diversity that provides a better framework for the whole. 
This applies to individual plants and species as well, whether that's through the diversity of the nutrients, the bacteria, and the fungi, both good and quote-unquote bad. All of these parts are necessary for a natural ecosystem and what plants have evolved to exist around. The goal isn't to wipe out the bad guys or just to promote the good guys like we did in K&F, but to feed them all and allow them to self-regulate through their diversity. It's this self-regulation through diversity that's really the key component of Jadam and allows us to think about the reintroduction of nutrients as a natural process. Yeah, so that sounds like a microcosm of nature to me. And this whole approach seems pretty holistic compared to just putting the petrochemical inputs in as nutrients. It's sort of taking into account the whole cycle that you know, living plant material does break down into nutrients in the future. And it kind of adds in that death and decay cycle to your inputs. And it really makes it more cyclical rather than linear from like point A to point B, just inputs, you know, seeds, and then goods. And then you take it, take it all down, you know, till the soil, tear everything up, and then just add more inputs. This is more of a cyclical approach, right? Yeah, pretty much. And that doesn't necessarily mean that like nature's always right, or that our construction of nature is always right or like that we can just step back and we don't have any responsibility or that like the perfect system can self-regulate and in that process not have any problems like that that would make for well a really short episode yeah i could write an episode about not managing my local ecology without your help yeah probably (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about what that actually looks like we'll be speaking about jadam in three broad categories The first one being fertilizer, the second being those indigenous microorganisms within the soil, and the last being pesticides, which we didn't really talk too much about in KNF. Now, when it comes to indigenous organisms, Jadam is very different than what we looked at with KNF. In KNF, our goal was to really harvest a specific type of bacteria and fungi. There was the good bacteria and fungi, which was that that white puffy cloud we talked about when you were harvesting IMO1. While Jadam suggests this is wrong, and that, well, too much of a good thing can really be a bad thing. Okay, so to put this into an analogy that I can understand, it's sort of like the difference between medicine and poison is the dose. It sort of reminds me of the earlier episode we did with the Civil War Garden. It's a shameless plug, but go listen. That was a fun episode. Yeah, exactly. You know, the idea is that these might be good, but part of their goodness stems from a more complex system. You can't just live on one good food. It's more complicated than that. The idea is that if we haven't even identified 99% of the microorganisms in the soil, how can we even know what's best for the soil? We can maybe identify some things that are good, but that's not going to be the whole picture. Right. And this is sort of what I was talking about, how Jadam is more of a holistic approach than our Western understanding of things and how it's more science-based. It's kind of reductionist how we break things down into a finite number of parts and we can just buy specific bacterias, good bacterias are good nutrients and harvest the stuff that we want and add it to the soil to make it perfect. But one bacteria is supposedly better than the other, but this approach sort of seems to take the good and the bad, but it's not really good or bad. It's more whole. It's more complete. Exactly. It's this idea that the good and bad together actually make a better diversity than just the good alone. And this is really where Jadam is a bit different than KNF because in both we harvest the indigenous microorganisms, but in Jadam we are harvesting both good and bad and use them to improve the soils. This includes everything, not just the fungi and bacteria, but algae, protozoa, viruses, things that we might think of as pathogens. The general idea is that we're trying to keep that balance in place. Otherwise, we can disrupt the balance of soil nutrition as those various bacteria that are specifically applied need specific nutrients and haven't co-evolved for those local conditions. And there's really three tenets of soil management in Jadam that frames all this up. And the first is that microorganism composition should be identical to what he specifically describes as the leaf mold in the mountains. The second is that the organic matter in the field should be abundant like the leaf mold in the mountains. And the last one is that minerals in the field should be diverse like, you guessed it, the leaf mold in the mountains. One really good example of the argument made in Jadam against the concept of good guy and bad guy bacteria is around the bacteria Bacillus anthracis, 
which causes canker, which is obviously bad for your plants. However, it being around in small amounts also helps keep other worse pathogens away. Yeah. So again, it's all about that ratio, that complete balance between, you know, I'm using air quotes, but good and bad. It's not overloading the good stuff. It's making it more complete and more well-rounded to, I guess, better simulate nature. It just sort of makes sense. It's complex, right? Yeah, it's complex. It's got that big system energy. Much like our sponsor. Hey there. Is your name George? Do you use foundations to funnel money to organizations to bypass tax regulation? Are you recognized as maybe funding radical leftist movements across the globe? Well then, this commercial is for you. Specifically you, George. My name is Andy, and the Poor Pearls Almanac is looking for you. Come fund our program. We've got boomsticks. We collectivize the energy of the sun with plants. If this sounds like an ad made explicitly for you, go support the Poor Proles Almanac at poorproles.com. Are you saying we've got big system energy? Because I'm pretty sure that was us. You mean BDE? Uh, big duck energy. What the fuck even was that? What? James Pond? You know, I have to tell you at least once every episode that I hate you. Can we just talk about ducks? Or wait, was it bacteria? No, what are we talking about? Quacteria? Okay, no, seriously. We've got this bacteria both good and bad. But because we've harvested it from a stable ecosystem, it's in those right proportions where they can balance each other out. Okay, back to the analogy. The difference between medicine and poison is dose. Yeah, like my dad jokes. Sometimes they're just too good. Yeah, except those don't make you any stronger or, like, healthier. But they don't ever cost us money. Except in therapy bills. What? Nothing. Keep keep going, dry damn it. Oh. <laughs> so, these bacteria and the other microorganisms within the soil, specifically the leaf mold, are super crucial and are especially the diversity itself within a specific region. Now, by managing the microbes, we can both manage both the nutrient and the nutrient access for the plants. That said, microbiology really struggles to travel without water, which is why in Jadam, water is such a central focus for how that microbiology is applied. So we're going to cover this quickly in a few minutes. But further, we've talked extensively in this podcast about the necessity of building soil for your plants, but Jadam is explicit in arguing that we need to extensively build soil before even considering your plants. Now, this is a little bit different than what we had talked about in Korean natural farming where instead we could focus on trying to harvest indigenous microorganisms specifically for the type of field or forest or whatever you might be trying to build. In this case, we're talking about essentially just building microorganisms for the sake of building that diversity and that volume. The soil foundation work is really focused around this idea of applying what's called JADAM microorganism solution, which is JMS, as well as minerals, plus JADAM liquid fertilizer, or JLF, before the transplanting of any crops or any trees. Additionally, we've talked a bit about how plants create the conditions that they want to thrive by doing things like dropping leaves. And Cho recognized this as well and argued that the plug and play of using like rice bran, which again, we covered in a, a few episodes back with KNF, is great if you want to build rice fields. If you don't, then it's not really the best thing because, again, you're providing those nutrients specific to rice. And Jadam instead really extensively recommends cover cropping and chopping down the growth in the fall, allowing it to break down throughout the winter. So chop and drop is pretty commonly known. It's definitely something that fits into the Jadam method. One of the more interesting takes from Jadam is this idea of if you live someplace like where I do, where grasses don't really want to grow because low pH soil or nutrients that don't exist or whatever it might be, he recommends instead of trucking in soil to actually bring in animal manure that graze the things you want. Because in theory, those grazers are dropping manure that helps perpetuate, much like the trees dropping their leaves, the things they want to eat. So if the soil is stripped, then bring in manure from things that eat the things you want to grow there. Yeah, so again, more holistic and more complete. What could be more symbiotic than harvesting and using that black gold? 
Hell yeah, we're grazing for those raisins. Those forbidden coffee beans. Going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And this is going off the rails. Well, you're cuckoo for... Don't finish that sentence. Don't. (sighs) Fine. If we're not going to talk about those delicious raisins, one other thing I do want to talk about specifically is that term Jadam coined, and it's something we talked about a bit when we had interviewed Tom Wessels last summer, is the concept of the natural leaching of minerals. And it refers to the inevitable loss of minerals from agriculture. So if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. We grow food in one place, right? And then we eat the food and then our waste goes someplace else. And we do that over and over again. And especially maybe when we're not talking about foods, but like timber crops, for example. We harvest trees every 50 or 75 years, which pull out massive amounts of minerals. But what returns those minerals over the long term? Over the short term, it might be fine. But over the long term, what's the real solution to returning some of that material? In KNF, the idea to return some of this mineralization is like what we had talked about with like water-soluble calcium. And we didn't talk about bacterial mineral water, but that's another process to try to return some of those minerals back to the soil. Jadam really pushes for the use of seawater because seawater has been documented to hold over 80 minerals and countless other microorganisms that will break down when they're removed from the ocean and can provide some new nutrients to the life on the soil. Now, much like with KNF, seawater should be diluted at least 30 to 1, which is about like a half a cup or so per gallon. Jadam also recommends phyllites, which they must be cheap and plentiful in South Korea, but they're like impossible to find here. And they're basically a broad spectrum mineral. While that might be hard to find here, something close here in the United States is azomite, which is helpful, but a little bit difficult to work with because of its lightness when dealing with some of these recipes. Now, it's really interesting because this is one of those areas that gets a lot of talk on YouTube about the idea of using rock dust and things like that. And a lot of folks, including some fairly big accounts, talk about the idea of rock dust not being very effective. And one of the things that's really important to understand in that conversation is that when we talk about using things like rock dust, and we talked about this back in that abiotic KNF episode, which I keep referring back to, is that the remineralization of the soil really requires those bacteria, fungi, yeasts, and even lichen to break down the rocks over years to become more accessible to the plants. You can't really expect to dump like, you know, a half a cup of azomite into like a potted plant and think those minerals are going to leach out in a 20-week grow. Looking at you, weed growers. Yeah, so some people are only thinking about getting clicks that week for using the hot buzzword and keyword and draw damn and saying fun words like that. But they don't really think about the plants for the next decade and for the future like we do. We're going to be here for the next 20 years. Yeah, you are going to love our voice in 20 years. I promise. So that's kind of one of the things I just wanted to bring up on this concept of mineralization because a lot of folks will hear about it. They'll go look it up. And then the bigger YouTube accounts that have those woke hot takes, my favorite hot takes about rocks and stuff like that and say they don't work. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So at this point, we've addressed the mineralization with seawater or azomite, as well as the extensive use of chop and drop cover crops. And we can't forget about those ground berries. And the ground berries. We've mentioned liquid fertilizers and microorganism solutions as well, but we haven't gotten into much detail on that. These IMOs not only help feed the plants, like KNF, but also help us deal with issues like root rot, driven by the ionization of aluminum from acid rain. The whole idea of Jadam in terms of the diversity of the different maintenance solutions isn't that you necessarily need them all the time, because let's be honest, we've farmed for thousands of years without them, but the conditions of our soil, of our biome, of the planet is really just in such bad shape that we need to help both build the nutritional balance and the diversity. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of Jadam, and that's in the recipes for microbial life and site management. Yeah, so there's no meat, but there is potatoes. Are these going to be like non-GMO, free-range, cage-free potatoes? Or is this like Walmart bargain bin russet potatoes that are say they're from Idaho, but who knows? I like my potatoes raised on a healthy diet of like free-range, plastic-free parenting. So before we get into the actual process of making those Jadam inputs, I wanted to highlight a key difference between, again, K and F and Jadam, and it's around the role of anaerobic activity. 
We had discussed that pathogens tend to develop in anaerobic conditions a few episodes back and that things like LAB. Yeah, and I'm polishing off a glass right here. Nice. Which work to actively break up anaerobic cycles. So proud of you, buddy. <laughs> Some folks that do KNF will make what's called liquid IMOs, which involves aerating the water to provide oxygen in the liquid. In Jadam, again, there's no good or bad. There's just diversity. If you think about it, digestion in all animals is anaerobic, where we can quickly break down foods into their base nutrients. Cho argues that aerobic fermentation actually destroys the vitamins and amino acids. The heat in traditional quote-unquote hot compost paired with oxygen kills off the microorganisms and breaks down many of those nutrients. Now, this argument is a bit up for debate, but it's his claim. We do know the benefit of hot compost is that it will kill off those pathogens, and we know that fungal and bacterial life will break down in compost if they do get too hot. So there is some validity, but as we discussed, we know so little about bacteria and fungi. It's a really, well, open-ended question at this point. That said, we also know that anaerobic conditions can make things more accessible or digestible. If you think about like fermented foods that offer more nutrition because of that fermentation process, which is anaerobic, I'd argue that anaerobic isn't necessarily bad, but much like many things, it deserves a place in the system. Yeah, and we see that in nature sometimes too. Like oxidation does kill off things sometimes quicker. It makes things rot. So I guess it kind of makes sense, but I don't know enough about any of this to elaborate further. But I will say that that's a classic Andy yes and no answer. It's a classic Elliot yes and no answer now. Classic. Just straight up tossing yes and no bombs all over this podcast. Seed bombs for the NSA affiliated audience. Obviously. In Minecraft. To build on this idea of anaerobics and destroying nutrients, Cho argues that the sugars that are the base of many KNF recipes also cause harm to soil. And he suggests that the sugar turns the inputs acidic and ultimately turns the soil more acidic, which he argues leads to disease outbreak. Now, there's some evidence of this, but the jury seems to be out as a whole, uh, whether or not this is a complete solution or that we've got the full answer to it. What we do know is that nutrient cycling is slower in low pH soils, so it really wouldn't be much of a surprise. Well, yeah, if making food storable with low pH conditions like lactofermentation stops breakdowns of nutrients, it shouldn't be a shock that this process stops breakdown in nature. But wouldn't that low pH have the benefit of stopping pathogens again, like in the storing process? Well, yeah, that's the thing. In many cases, it does. What it does do is create unique conditions that are about less habitable to a wide diversity of things. So low pH environments are less diverse, creating less resilient systems. In this condition where you add too much sugar to either preserve something like IMO or food, it reduces the ability of the biology to continue that decomposition process. In Jadam, we don't use sugar for this precise reason. So the main differences between Jadam and KNF are around utilizing brown sugar and how leaf mold is used to harvest IMOs and what those IMOs look like. Okay, so I'm trying to wrap my head around this. KNF sort of lets nature go to work with the brown sugar mixture and lets things break down in that anaerobic environment. And then Jadam seems to sort of speed up the death and decay in like a managed way, but using water. Is that right? So not necessarily. So they're both natural systems in the sense that they can both happen with or without our input. The difference is that we're offering different paths, each with their own positives and negatives. With K and F, what we're trying to do is store the stuff out of the plants or the microorganisms in a way that they're shelf stable for a long period of time, and we can use them and apply them when we want to. Now, with Jadam, it's a little bit different, and the reason we're doing it the way we do it is because, as we'll talk about in a, a little bit, we're taking the life of the landscape where we are and those plants, the same plants we use in KNF, but we're essentially either using a lot more plant matter or we're using a shorter window that we can apply those things. KNF is a long-term solution in the sense that we can store a bunch of stuff and apply it later. And Jadam is much more about we need to do this today or very shortly, and there's a short window to apply it. We're not trying to manipulate that process to make it shelf-stable. 
Okay. So would it be safe to say then that Jidam would be more used to build up your soil and to sort of start, I guess, from ground zero? And then KNF would be more amendments and keeping it the way you want to in the future for like the long term. Does that make sense? I think it's really up to the person and how they want to use the materials. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll make sense when we get into actually what these processes look like. Okay. Give me some recipes. Yeah, the recipes. So let's talk a little bit about the mineral water, which is a key focus of Jadan. Now, if we're like me and you and all the people listening are mostly made up of water and our food is mostly made up of water and our plants are mostly made up of water, then the quality of water is super crucial to the health of our plants and ourselves. So in order to naturally clean the water for plants, Jadam suggests that you take a typical water barrel. On farms, this is like a 250-gallon barrel. And for that 250-gallon barrel, you might want to fill up like a burlap sack with a bunch of leaf litter and cover the bottom of the barrel with rocks. The argument here is that the microbes would consume the contaminants, making the water better quality. Now, in say like a a 50 gallon barrel that you might get from like around here, it's usually like old soy sauce containers that you can get pretty cheap for like 25 bucks, the the blue barrels. You might want to fill up like a stocking or two with leaf litter and then again, littering the bottom with rocks. Cho recommends swapping the leaf litter like once or twice a year. So you've just given us a recipe for pond water. Yeah, it's a really fancy way to make pond water. And the idea is that those natural cleaning systems exist and that will improve the quality of water. So let's talk about utilizing that water, specifically around the idea of those indigenous microorganisms. In KNF, we had that process of IMO1 through 5, and that was just basically harvesting, storing, growing, and then applying. Now with Jadam, we have Jadam Microbial Solution, and that's just JMS. For folks that are listening, I'm going to take the traditional recipe and just kind of downsize it. And I know that sounds scary, but it's actually like a super simple process. If you've got like a five gallon bucket, like the Homer buckets from Home Depot or whatever, you can put about four gallons of dechlorinated water in it. And that's pretty much it. If you don't have dechlorinated water, you can literally just leave tap water out for a couple days and the chlorine will be gone. In that, you would put about a tablespoon of sea salt and give it a quick stir. For about four gallons of water, you want to take about two large to three or four medium of those free-range vegetarian diet plastic-free potatoes we were talking about and cook them up real good so they're like super nice and mushy. And you're going to put them in like a cheesecloth or something like that. With that cheesecloth, you're going to also stick like a handful of leaf litter and then tie it up and then you're going to hang it over the edge. Usually people will just use like a stick tie it in the middle of the stick and make sure both ends stick out on the side so it just floats in the middle. Once that's in there, you just give it a good squeeze and mix the water around a little bit. And yeah, congratulations. You have started making JMS. Not super complicated. Yeah. So this is just like IMO1, except we aren't worrying too much about harvesting just the white stuff and we're doing it in water with potatoes and not using rice. So it's the same, but completely different. So yes and no. Did I do it? You did it. I'm so proud of you, buddy. I nailed it again. Now, all you really need to do is just cover the bucket and keep it relatively room temperature. This isn't really a winter project, and I know it sounds contradictory for me to say he was focused on doing things naturally and then saying make sure this isn't a temperature band. And you don't necessarily have to, but you're going to have better luck with the process. It only takes usually like a day or two for this to get ready. And you'll know pretty quickly because the entire surface will be covered in a foam. And the foam should have just reached the edges of the surface for it to still be fresh. And it must be used that day at a 10 to 1 ratio if applied to soil and a 21 if you're using it to be a foliar application. If you wait any longer, the microorganisms will just start dying. Okay, so I do have a question. These microbes in the leaf litter, are they coincidentally anaerobic? Like when you put them in the water, are are we just breeding anaerobic microbes or do they switch back and forth can they breathe and not breathe yeah so it's not super simple as a black and white you're only doing one or the other in nature it's not necessarily a binary of aerobic versus anaerobic many of the microorganisms can change from one to the other based on their situation and that makes a lot of sense if you think about like having heavy rainfalls would that just kill off everything in the soil 
many microorganisms can change based on that situation. And many microorganisms actually stay dormant most of the time and just wait until those conditions are right for them. This doesn't mean just like rain and temperature, but also soil pH, which can change naturally over decades or longer. And we can see this play out in JMS. Doing this process at lower temperatures, like I suggested not doing, actually leads to small bubbles because the lower temperature loving microbes are actually a little bit smaller in size. I'm surprised you had an answer to that question. Kind of makes you a mad scientist. But also the state of microbes in anaerobic or aerobic environments is super fascinating. And it reminds me of this time I got really stoned and started reading about tardigrades. Good times were had by all. Yeah, it was odd. They, they can survive in the vacuum of space. Like what else does that? They're probably our great, 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 great. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Poor Pearls Almanac. This is Andy reminding you that if you're looking for more content outside of the scope of the podcast or sources, recommended readings, or ways to support us, you can find that at poorproles.com. Further, we've expanded our delivery into video content on our YouTube channel, where we're able to show step-by-step how to do many of the processes that we talk about within the podcast. We have also started a Twitch channel where we platform various folks on skills from DIY mushroom production to the various methods to keep land out of the hands of developers. Again, all this can be found at poorproles.com, and we look forward to seeing you over there. Great, great, great grandparents. (laughs) They're aliens is what they are. We're all aliens. Now, for folks that are trying to build new soils, we talked about how microbes can only really travel deeper into the soil by the means of water, so we can do a heavy soil drench with JMS to get those microbes in the ground. And like I said, once they're there, they can stay dormant. JMS is also something that can be added to water at a 20 to 1 ratio for like livestock, and much like lab, can be sprayed in animal pens to reduce smell. Now, what I'm particularly interested in is using it for fermented feed or a sprouted feed or something like that. I've done a bit of fermented feed on and off, and I usually do it during the summer when I don't need it. And then I don't for the winter when I really need it because of the fact that it's cold and I don't like having buckets full of water and stuff everywhere, despite the fact that's when I could use it. So I think utilizing JMS in this process could be really helpful in making the nutrients and feed more soluble for livestock. And in this process also can increase feed conversion. But that's a conversation for another day. For this episode, I really want to just flesh out the main components of JDAM. And you guys can go do some more research if you want to learn more. Yeah, I've got more questions. Go for it. Is that fermented feed, like feed juice, is that the same as silage? Uh, Not necessarily. So yes and no? Just stop right there. That's enough. We We don't have to go any further into that bullshit. Yes and no. Were you there at the murder? Yes and no. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible answer. You're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Do you always have to use potatoes for this? Are there any other starches we can utilize or is this is it just potatoes? So it is a good general starch. And if you're working on a larger scale, you might want to make a batch specifically for the monocrop, quote unquote, monocrop you're working with. So like if you're working a grape vineyard, you might want to use just grapes, even though it's not a general starch. It's still something you can do. Okay, so I'm learning. That's like how trees create the conditions they want with pine needles dropping higher pH needles, making the soil a little bit higher pH like it likes, or like oak trees, how they take over an area with their leaf litter. It sort of amends the soil to the way the trees like it. Is that the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. I did it. I'm learning. Elliot learned a thing, everyone. Yeah, it's so great. So this is kind of like a cross between IMO and fermented fruit juice then. Like it's kind of a combination of both. Yeah, you're uh, harvesting those indigenous stuff while also in some cases, if you're not using a potato, you're using grapes or something else and it's being applied for that specific surface, then yeah, you're getting the both ends of it. Now with Jadam, there's also its own fertilizer similar to those fermented fruit and plant juices which is called Jadam Liquid Fertilizer, or JLF. So at this point, it's all about branding. You got your JLF, you got your IMO, you got your FFJ, you got your KNFFFJ, you got your... I don't know, I'm lost. It's all about that branding. All about that brandy. I thought you said that was LAB. It was lab. It was made in a lab. And by lab, I mean liquor cabinet. Close. Almost there. Let's go with that. Cool. 
Well, with JLF, we see the same concept playing out as a fertilizer. The ideal JLF solution comes from aligning the fertilizer for the plant you're feeding it to. If you're, say, growing tomatoes, use tomatoes in the fertilizer. There's nothing that's going to be nutritionally deficient in a tomato-based fertilizer for tomatoes, right? Now, unlike KNF, you don't make a fertilizer for vegetative growth versus that fruiting period. And unlike KNF, the longer it sits and soaks, the better it becomes. It's a really stupidly easy process. You can just take a container, five-gallon bucket, a 50-gallon bucket, whatever, fill it up with the ingredient, and it doesn't have to be specifically one plant. You can go weeding in the garden and throw all the weeds in there. You fill up that container, fill it up with water once it's full of leaves or whatever you're using, add a handful of that nasty, slimy leaf mold below a tree, and close the lid. After a week or so, especially during the summer, it's going to be done. And like I said, the longer it sits, the better it is. Now, all you do is scoop out the water and apply it between a 30 and a 100 ratio. So like a quarter of a cup a gallon is a pretty good place to start. Yeah. And for all the listeners, I've actually made this one myself because I've done some weeding and stuff in my yard and in my garden and just left those buckets out and it rains on them. And I completed this recipe. I think I threw a lid on it a couple of days later. So I've done this one. It's easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. And you don't have to like clean the buckets or anything, right? Like you can just like all those microbes and organisms, the good and the bad, they're supposed to be in there anyway, right? Yeah. And when we had talked about like the mineral water, how we can drop those leaves in and they supposedly clean the water through that process. The same thing happens in this process. You add that leaf litter and it keeps things kind of in balance. And as you use up the water, you can just continue to add new water and new material because that over time, that material will break down. It's literally the easiest process on earth. And like you, it was something I had always done before I knew it had a name. Now, I didn't do the leaf litter part, but I think that is mostly an accelerant. And of course, you don't necessarily have to make a different JLF for each crop, but a general one with a broad spectrum of plants will provide, again, a broad spectrum of nutrients. The Jadam book highlights a bunch of different options, or much like KNF, you can go check out the Dr. Duke's website for plant breakdowns for the nutrients to see what's in there. But honestly, I don't really think it's that necessary. The JLF process can be applied across the spectrum, as opposed to making the long drawn out process of like FAA, that is the fish amino acids, you can make a JLF, but instead of plants, you would use like fish. Yeah. So this one, I know you said making the fish amino acids, you tried that one in your kitchen and it didn't smell. It was just fish out on the counter for like a couple of days, but there's no way you can put fish into leaf mold in water in the sun. And that's not going to smell like I don't believe you. Yeah, it it smells like ass Okay, from what I've heard. I've never done it, and that's the reason. And the fish amino acid actually sat in my kitchen for three months without my wife noticing. So look at that. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we had talked about this idea of, like, with KNF, you can make water-soluble calcium phosphate and all these other things. We can continue to do all those same processes, but instead of the accelerant in the short term and the way we thought about making it in small batches and charring essentially a bunch of different stuff, instead we can just char those things, throw them in a giant bucket of water, and use the leaf litter to go through that process. Now, of course, when we're using leaf litter versus vinegar, the difference is that it will take much longer. In this case, typically we talk about like using oyster shell or eggshell, it would take like three months versus like a week with KNF. Now, both of these processes still take that 10 to 1 ratio. So if you're making a 50-gallon bucket of water-soluble calcium, you're going to need a lot of eggs or oyster shells or whatever. So that's something to be aware of in this process. The main point is that you can take the basic Jadam liquid fertilizer process and use it for all of the things we had talked about pretty much as the KNF amendments, whether it's fish amino acid, water-soluble calcium, whatever it might be, which is really convenient because it's a little bit less input heavy in terms of your time, but it does take longer for it to do it on its own. As I say this, again, one of the things about Jadam is that there's this diversity, like all of the recipes that it has in the book are all, again, that basic Jadam liquid fertilizer process, but just different ingredients being used for different things. And that can be from fixing how terrible the soil is 
uh, utilizing what's called a natural color enhancer. Yeah. So if we're sticking to the scheme of things, that's JADAM NCE, just a bunch of acronyms. Actually, no, that one is just natural color enhancer. Now, I don't know why sometimes they decide to put JADAM at the beginning of it. Their marketing team's dropping the ball on that one, I guess. Either way, it's the same process as all those other liquid fertilizers, except it uses seaweed, which provides large amounts of iodine to help fruit coloring. And again, that process takes three months to ferment versus making a fermented plant juice out of seaweed. And like KNF, there are a bunch of recipes where you might mix some of these things for specific reasons. Now, Jadam argues that there's no need to separate between vegetative state and the bloom state when you're making like a JLF. But if you go through the book, you'll see there is a division between those nitrogen-heavy JLFs for vegetative states and calcium and potassium-heavy JLFs for fruiting periods. So I think there is a little bit of a conscious recognition that while it might not be necessary, it does offer some benefits. Oh, so Cho is a yes and no man like yourself. Great minds think alike, or something. Yeah, so what's interesting in particular is that Jadam also has a bunch of different control recipes to deal with problems. Many variations of these exist in KNF, but they aren't really part of the quote-unquote core KNF program and aren't nearly as thorough. The concept is that your site won't convert to an organic IMO-driven system overnight without growing pains, and these are predominantly to be used in transition and only occasionally afterwards. Nature still has pests and even in healthy ecosystems, and in many cases when we're growing annuals, we're growing domesticated crops that have been bred to, well, be less healthy. Thinner shells that make it easier for us to eat you know, seeds mean that the plant is less protected. Larger seeds and fruits, which are, again, great for us, direct energy away from the plant's self-defense and offer bigger spots for attack from viruses and all that good stuff and so on. So the idea that we'll never need to deal with pests is just really like optimistic. And Jadam acknowledges that. So we've mentioned the Jadam wetting agent very briefly before. And all I can picture is you walking around with a wet wipe for your plants, like, you know, like parents do dab in the corners of mouths of babes. I mean, uh, that's kind of what I see too. Yeah, I wasn't expect that, but get, yeah, go on. Okay, so like Jadam wetting agent or JWA is a key tool for most of the Jadam recipes outside of JLF, the fertilizer. It's a natural surfactant that increases the wetting, coating, and penetrating of the pesticide, or JWA. So JWA, to be blunt, really? Nothing? Why would I say anything? Was that like my nickname or something? Fine. Be that way. Well, to be blunt, JWA is a huge pain in the ass to make, and it really involves using some legitimately dangerous chemicals. So I'm not going to go into how to make it, but if you'd like to learn about it, Jadam Organic Farming on YouTube covers it pretty thoroughly in a 40-ish minute video. Fortunately, if you do decide to make it, it is a one-and-done kind of thing. It doesn't go bad, and you really only use tiny bits at a time, so you don't need to be thinking about making it all the time. Now, to make that Jadam natural pesticide, which much like making the JLF, that is the liquid fertilizer, it's the same exact recipe, except you swap out the plant you're using based on what you're trying to reduce pest pressure from. Now, there's a lot of experimentation around this, but having that basic set of skills and tools is the key thing we're talking about here. And again, that set of tools is filling up a barrel with water and some leaf litter and then that material you want to throw in there. As complicated as it looks, it's actually super simple. With this Jadam wetting agent that I don't have much interest in utilizing very often, you usually pair this with the JMS, that is those microorganisms, and JS, which is Jadam sulfur, which again, much like JWA, is a chemically processed, so I won't go into it. You'll pair that with what's called Jadam Herbal Solution, or JHS, which I know, I just lost all of you. You did, and you also lied to me. What do you mean? You're slowly turning into a mad scientist, like a really dirty one. Yeah, maybe. But seriously, all this is covered thoroughly in Jadam Organic Farming, the book. It's a great resource. It goes into a lot of the stuff that I'm not going into, and the explanations are really accessible, and they don't feel too like philosophically like touchy-feely kind of stuff. It like feels like it's based on actual science, which is really nice. I'm going to ignore the Jadam sulfur and the Jadam wetting agent. So as for the actual Jadam 
herbal solution or JHS. The generic plant that's used to be like a basic pesticide is fortunately one of my favorites, and that's the Jerusalem artichoke. Not only is it something that grows like a weed, it's pretty, it's perennial, it also produces massive amounts of root crops, while also now providing something we can use to help protect our plants. So the whole process is really simple. All we do is take the plant, cut it up about like two pounds worth, and add it to, again, another cheesecloth or something like that, and toss a rock in it so that when you put it in water, it'll sink. You're going to put it in a pot with about six and a half gallons of water, and you're going to boil it for about five hours. First, you're going to fire it up to get it to that good boil and then drop it so it slowly simmers. And you're going to leave the lid like slightly off so it can air out just a little bit. The goal is that over those five hours, you should lose about a third or so of the water that you've put in. Now, at the end of the five hours, you take the bag out and let it hang over so whatever's left in it will drip out. Now, to store, you want to put it in a sterile vessel or pour it into something that's heat safe. In that process, the container will become sterile and then you'll want to close it immediately. Store it someplace cool and dark and it should be good for like a year. You're going to use it at like a 50 to 1 ratio and it's going to be like a, a spray that you'll spray on your plants when you've got bug problems. Yeah, so all these plant solutions are all about ratios. It's all about getting ratioed. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's about balancing nature stuff, right? Good. Good? Well, anyways, this is used in conjunction with the other tools, much like how we mix stuff together in KNF. The whole concept is to include the stuff that the parasites don't like in the Jadam herbal solution with the concept of including microbes to help crowd out the bad pathogens. Think about it like inflation. Adding a bunch more reduces the value of individuals, like, say, your credit card debt. This is the same concept. Yeah, so like the economy right now is good. If you have a bunch of debt and your pay goes up, then hell yeah. Yeah, but my pay isn't going up. Then it's definitely not good, which brings me to my final point. So at this point, we've covered a lot of content, and you might have noticed that I haven't given much detail on scientific backing on this. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any actual objective research papers that explicitly validated Jadam practices over other ones. That said, I'm willing to bet there is research giving its prominence in Korea and even its backing as a practice by the Philippine government that there must be some evidence validating this practice. What I also particularly like about Jadam is that the framework is explicitly anti-capitalist. Cho includes this in his dialogue in the text about how the information is meant to be free to people and, well, save the planet. The book is littered with quotes and references to folks like Marx, and it honestly blows my mind that right-wingers continue to love it, despite it telling them to basically go fuck themselves. Yeah, but they'll do their thing and do their best to commodify it since Cho didn't. Probably. Yeah. So another question. What do you do out of all these practices, like you personally? So I'd say I'm like a 70 to 30 KNF to Jadam. I really like having the storable goods. And I'm also a big advocate about taking advantage of accessing the relationships between the microbiology and specific species. So harvesting like the leaf litter of American chestnuts is, in my opinion, really important to the blight resistant varieties that I have. I also like the idea of utilizing a big batch of like JMS and totally soaking the site in to get those microbes deep into the soil. And it's honestly just a lot easier than making like giant batches of IMO4. However, if you already need to build organic matter in the soil and you're going to be carting in compost or whatever it might be, IMO4 might be a better option. I generally don't use JHS because I don't like making the chemicals necessary for the wetting agent and so on. He says that it's pretty much useless without the wetting agent, so I've made it and I've utilized it, but I can't say for sure whether or not it was super effective without that wetting agent. Yeah, so you're losing your mad scientist sheen. Yeah, I mean, isn't not liking dangerous things the most mad thing a mad scientist can do? Yeah, double negative, so now we're just confused. Yeah, I do that to myself, and I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. To get back to your question, I also use a lot of LAB. And I'll use IMO4 or IMO5 as like a soil for transplants or to do potting soils and things like that. JLF I'll use as my primary fertilizer, even though I do use the occasional FPJ, FFJ, and FAAs and all the other acronyms occasionally, plus those water-soluble materials that we talked about, like making water-soluble calcium and uh, a couple other things that we didn't cover in the KNF episodes. While it sounds like it's a lot of work, 
you make a lot of these things and then you have them for years. So you might do the math and for like all the K and F stuff and it might be 40 hours worth of work, but that'll carry you through an entire year and cost you no money. With the Jadam stuff, some of it will take a little bit more work because of the short window you have to use it. And you have to use up like four gallons of JMS and you have to do it at a 30 to one ratio, which means that if you made four gallons, now you've got to do 1200 gallons worth of liquid if you want to use it all up. So that becomes a very big project very quickly. It doesn't mean it's not good. It's just you have to acknowledge that there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, it really depends on your own you know, site, the plants you're growing, your comfort level and the, the space and time and money. And as, like I said, as we continue to work on getting new content up on our YouTube, we'll cover most, if not all of these practices, although there is already a lot of content up on YouTube and most of it's pretty good enough. Yeah, good enough. You sound like my wife. Yeah, and mine. Well, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Seriously, we got married. What were we thinking? I don't know. Probably the tax benefits. If people say that, but is there actually a tax benefit, Mr. Taxman? Uh, yes and no. Like everything. There's actually some negatives that like student loan interest deductions. Shit, here we and go. I, I did it again. You done did it. I done did it. It's all over. Yeah, but we got to work on getting that YouTube content up to supplement all this because this it's going to be a lot easier to see than it is to listen to some of this content. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this. As always, this is Andy. And what are we doing? We are the poor pros of the almanac. Knacking. Knack, 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 knack. Is that curly? We're almanacking. <laughs> Knacking it up. Knack. The knickerbockers, the knacker knockers. Yeah, say that. Say that a whole. Say that a whole bunch of fast. Ugh. Knack, knack, knackers. <laughs> it's all terrible. <laughs>